1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 25 to 31. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, sir, today, of course, is Easter Day, but it's also uh, another day, or at least some people hold it as another day. I wonder if you know what other day it might be today. What other day might be today? What is it? April Fool's Day. Did you know it was April Fool's Day? Did you know it was April Fool's Day? It doesn't often happen that April Fool's Day actually coincides with Easter, but it's happened this year. Only perhaps it hasn't. Some of you might have seen on in the newspaper the headlines that, that the Pope has in fact thought that it's not appropriate this year to have April Fool's Day so he's cancelled it and so we're going to have two April Fool's Days next year is that okay? did you know he had the power to do that? Well, nor did I. Do you believe it? No? Oh, you don't believe it. It seems to me that's what we tend to do on April Fool's Day, don't we? We tend to, to make up little stories and things that aren't really true. The only trouble is nowadays we have so much fake new, news that it's difficult to know what is true and what is false any day. Actually, you know, April Fool's Day and Easter Day are not a bad thing to have together. Because there are lots of people around today that think that what we're doing here is foolish. They think that people that follow Jesus are foolish. They think that we're stupid. You might have some people at school say, oh, you don't go to church, do you? You're stupid to do that. You don't believe in God, do you? You're stupid to do that. You must be foolish. In uh, 
Shakespeare. I'm going to quote Shakespeare this morning. How about that? Yeah, I know. In Shakespeare's play, As You Like It, there's a, a court jester. Does anyone know that? Court jester. His name is... Do you know that? Oh. Oh, I thought you did that. Oh, I thought you... Oh, I, my hopes then for a moment. His name is Touchstone. Do you know that? And he's the court jester. He's the fool in the court. And he says this. He says, A fool thinks himself to be wise, but a wise man knows himself to be a fool. The irony of that in that play is that although Touchstone dresses like a fool, he dresses like a court jester, he is the wisest person in that story, in that play. And he can say things that no one else would dare to say because everyone thinks he is a fool. We celebrate the fact that Jesus is risen from the dead. And people around us often think we are foolish. But who are the fools? And who are the wise? In the resurrection, Jesus turns wisdom and foolishness upside down. And in that reading we just heard, it says, God's wisdom is often thought to be foolish, but actually it's wiser than anything. And we have to make a choice. Are we going to go along with a crowd and think, oh yes, we're wise. In actual fact, we're foolish. Or are we going to appear foolish to other people because we believe in God's wisdom. We're going to think a little bit more about that later on in our service. The Gospel reading is from John chapter 20, beginning to read at verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. 
he saw and believed, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Thanks be to God. Someone said to me uh, recently, I hear that this will be your last Easter. <laughs> Sounded a bit final to me, really, and wondered if they knew something that I didn't. But, um, of course, this will be my last Easter here. It will be my last Easter as a full-time circuit minister. As you may know, some a few weeks ago now, I had to go to the district minister's synod. That's the collection of ministers, the meeting of the ministers from across our, our district, and I had to stand up and ask to sit down. <laughs> and that's what we call it in the Methodist Church. We call retirement sitting down. We don't actually retire, we sit down. It's a curious phrase, sitting down. And it got me thinking about sitting down and standing up. I'm going to ask you to do something. Would, if you're able to, don't worry if you're not able to, but would you just stand up? Just stand up. Thank you. Would you sit down again? Oh, that power. 
It's interesting, isn't it? The occasions where we stand up and what we stand up for. We might stand up, for example, as uh, an act of appreciation after a great speech or a, 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 a wonderful concert or something like that as a standing ovation. You've done that, haven't you? Some of you may have done that. Stood up to think, that's great. We stand up sometimes, possibly when uh, our football team has scored a great goal. We stand up in excitement. On a bus or a train, we might stand up to let a less able person have a seat. Although I was on a bus the other day and someone stood up to let me sit down. <laughs> so. It's a bit worrying, really, but... We do quite a bit of standing, standing up in church. We stand up when the preacher comes in to take the service. We stand up I guess, as a sign of respect. We often stand to sing our hymns, both possibly to improve the sound, but also to somehow identify with the words that we're saying. This is what I mean when I'm singing, singing this. We stand up for a similar reason when we bring forward the offering to the front, because we're saying, this is my offering. I'm identifying with what is being offered in that plate. Of course, the fundamental reason why we stand up in the first place is because we can. Unless there is, of course, some physical weakness or disability that we have, which prevents us from standing up, we stand up because we are able to stand up. We stand up because we are alive. It might be a revelation to you, but know this, the dead don't stand. Only the living stand. One of the features that we note in the resurrection appearances of Jesus, particularly in John's Gospel, is the reference to him standing. So, for example, in the reading we've just had from John 20, as Mary sees Jesus, she sees him standing there. She turned around and saw Jesus standing there but did not realize it was Jesus. Later, when the disciples gathered behind locked doors, were told Jesus came and stood among them. And later on, still, when the, some of the disciples have gone out fishing on the Lake of Galilee, were told Jesus is seen on the shore standing standing on the shore. John wants to emphasize by telling us Jesus is standing 
that Jesus is alive. Dead people don't stand. Jesus is alive. The only time, really, that Jesus is referred to as sitting after his resurrection is when he ascends to the Father and sits on the throne of God. He sits as a sign of authority, but also as a sign of victory. The work of salvation that he came to achieve is now done. He can sit down. It is finished. It is complete. And I guess that might be where the term comes from for a retiring minister who comes to sit down. Their work finished. Their work complete. Only it's not. It's not. And although Jesus' work of salvation, thankfully, is complete, is done, our work to tell others about it and to help people to experience that resurrection life for themselves, our work continues. And young and old, no matter who we are, we cannot sit down. We need to continue to stand up. There used to be that old hymn, it's not in our hymn book, I did look, it's not in that uh, hymn book now, we don't sing it much now, it's not exactly politically correct. It used to be, stand up, stand up for Jesus. It went on about you soldiers of the cross and all that sort of thing, this time, time for battle. And... But that principle, those words, stand up for Jesus, are just as important now as ever before, perhaps even more important now than ever before. We need to stand up, stand up for Jesus, and to stand up for him for all of the reasons that I mentioned earlier why we might stand up. To stand in recognition of who he is and what he has achieved. To stand in excitement like a footballer scoring the winning goal. To stand in respect of who he is. To stand to give him our place. To put him in our place so that he might sit on the throne of our hearts and lives. To stand because we want to identify ourselves as belonging to him. But above all, to stand up because we are alive. His people are alive. His church is alive. And as a sign of that, we need to stand up. All too often, when we need to stand up, 
we are sitting down. We stand up because he is alive and he lives in us. So I'm going to ask you to do something again. I'm going to ask you to stand up again if, only if, Jesus lives in you and you are alive in him. If that is the case, if you want to stand up for Jesus today, would you do that now? Would you stand up for Jesus? Stand up for Jesus. Let us pray. Lord, we're here this morning and we are standing. We're standing as a sign that you live in us and we are alive in you. But may we not only stand with you here and now in this place, but may we stand up for you in all that we do, in all these coming days, and in all our years, and throughout our life, let us not sit down, but stand up for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.